Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here in New York with the Naismith Hall of Famer and the peerless ESPN analyst Doris Burke. We go all around the NBA on the cusp of this 2019-20 season with the Lakers, the Clippers, contenders in the East and West. We talk about the challenges in front of the Brooklyn Nets with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant integrating them into that organization. And the state of the New York Knicks. And of course, we start with LeBron James, Daryl Morey, Adam Silver, the entire China controversy that has engulfed the NBA in recent days. So here's my visit with ESPN analyst and Hall of Famer, Doris Burke. Here with ESPN's Doris Burke in Manhattan, site of, well, your first preseason game in the Eastern Conference, right? Wednesday night on ESPN, Knicks, Hawks. Doris, how are you? Great. Can't wait to see Trey Young tomorrow in Madison Square Garden. Couldn't be better, Woj. I am so excited for the season. One week from tomorrow night, we'll be working. It's coming fast. This offseason gets uh, shorter and shorter for everybody. We'll get to the season. I want to start where everything has started lately with the NBA and China. The story had maybe quelled a little bit in the public eye once the Nets, the Lakers, came back from China. Those teams kind of resumed their preseason. Adam Silver goes back to, you know, I think quietly trying to piece back together the league's relationship, relationships in China in the aftermath of Daryl Morey's tweet about Hong Kong the previous Friday night. And then LeBron talks on Monday night in Los Angeles. And don't think it surprised anybody that he would have something to say on it or he hadn't talked since the trip. Do think it surprised people the contents of what he said. Really going after Daryl Morey, um, he was clearly a target of, of his... Frustration, I guess, would be the word. And were you taken aback by how he approached this? Yes, I frankly was expecting a sort of uh, end of quarter coach response, a very polite, innocuous non-answer is what I was expecting. I think all of us are not naive to the fact that LeBron, like many of these players, uh, has significant investment over there. And obviously, he is well-liked. But I was shocked, to be perfectly honest with you. He is normally so media savvy. The one thing I would say is, if you had to be a player over in China at that moment, with all of the intensity and the pressure, uh, knowing how much stress was put on Adam Silver and the league, uh, the consistent cancellations of things and activities that you were supposed to do, the fact that some players apparently, and I think there's going to be more news of this coming out, lost money during that trip. 
if you were speaking from a place of just being a player and sort of the the intensity of the experience, but the fact that he went after Daryl Morey, I didn't understand it, and I was surprised by it. Yeah, and and I think yes, the, there's no question that there are a lot of players. The bigger the star, the bigger the shoe deal, the bigger the marketing, the more you have to lose and financially. There's no question, and there's not. I'm not sure there's a star player in the last several years who maybe doesn't go to China every summer and multiple times a but, summer, but multiple times or at worst every other year, based on what their off season looks like. And so they understand that. I always remember at the Beijing Olympics, Kobe Bryant saying, and it's still one of the most memorable moments I've had covering sports was when Yao Ming comes out literally playing on one leg. He physically shouldn't have been out there. And I remember I talked to Yao about this in a podcast a few years ago. And, you know, he felt a tremendous obligation with the Olympics in Beijing. He was going to be carrying that flag into the stadium. He was the crown jewel of their not just basketball, but but of all athletics. That watching him come, and I remember he hit, I think he hit a, he certainly hit one, maybe two shots in a row to start the game. And it's as loud as I've ever heard an arena. And there was there was always an appreciation among players. And I remember Kobe said that night, you know, Yao built a bridge to China for all of us. And certainly for the league, but financially for players. And I think it certainly felt to me that's what LeBron, now he corrected himself later on Twitter. Um, maybe he'll talk about it again before this pot airs. I'm not sure he will, but... If he was saying Daryl's tweet put us in bad, a bad position because we physically had to be over there, there were American teams there or NBA teams there, should have waited. That's one conversation. That's one way to look at it. But if it was about the financial aspect and what he's cost us individually or what might happen to the salary cap, I think you just come out and say it. Say, listen, this is about my – and he used the word financial, but I think – he meandered. Yeah. yeah. It was unclear, Woj, exactly what he was saying. You clearly had enough time to digest what had happened, and if you were going to speak to it, to speak to it with a measure of clarity. The fact that within minutes of your, you know, discussing this with the media, you dial back and have to send out a couple of tweets. As I said, he is typically so strong in his message. This is delicate for everybody. I get it. But it's just, I, I was shocked. I really, I was expecting an innocuous non-answer or a first-hand account of what it felt like to be a player in China while that was ongoing. Because obviously, we, none of us can understand that. And I think what is going to happen and what had started to happen, I think really in the aftermath of Adam Silver's first public statement, which was not strong enough, I think, for people in the Western world, not just the NBA, but people in the West said that wasn't a strong enough. And clearly Adam felt that because he came back and issued a stronger statement later mm -hmm. that I think what's happening. And I think LeBron has seen this since he talked in an effort to try and protect your interests in China financially, otherwise, and, and you're worried about that marketplace and that audience. I think the risk is going to be, alienating the one you have 
domestically. And I think that's the line. If anyone else is going to speak up on this, that's the line and, 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 and take a similar stance to LeBron. And my guess is <laughs> after LeBron talked and Daryl's tweet, I, I will be surprised if there's anybody else who says much, but this issue is not going away. There's a microphone in front of or a notebook in front of or somebody's Twitter account in front of them. The story won't go away. And, and I imagine we haven't heard the last from whether it's an owner, a player, an executive, um, what a commissioner. What is the bottom line for the business? I feel as though I've, I've recently either read or seen something relative to the salary cap implications as a percentage of the NBA's business. What are we looking at? Well, the potential is if, hypothetically, and there's no reason to believe this is happening, if all of the revenue in China went away, it's significant to the cap. They'd feel it. Now, I don't feel my sense isn't that there's there's always concern, but right now it's more of a question of the Rockets' money, which is significant to them, and that money is shared in the league, and Rockets on television over there, Rockets – sponsorships they have locally that all feeds into the from the player's perspective the BRI which is the you know essentially it's the player's share right of the revenue uh I think it would be a modest dip if this continued and there's no reason to believe necessarily that where it'll be interesting is if they try to if they continue to try to isolate one team and say Houston you're not going to be on television China that the sponsorship opportunities are gone forever, will they isolate just one team like this? Or does Adam Silver have a different conversation and say, hey, you can't do that to one of our teams? But certainly, does it have an impact for the Rockets? Yeah, James Harden, you saw his reaction initially. He stepped as far away from Daryl Morey's tweet, and it wasn't – LeBron was maybe a little more strident about it, but, but certainly James Harden didn't um, – so he apologized. He, his, he apologized. He didn't jump to bottom line. He apologized. And so, no question. But, and, and here's the thing. And, and, and to be fair, it is not just NBA players who have financial interests over there. We do. Our company does. You know, go through any of our possessions. We are all financially invested. And so, now, it's going to get more attention when obviously a player talks about it. But if Daryl's tweet did nothing else, it forced. And, and maybe my world's more narrow. That maybe my world's too narrow, but there's no question it forced a conversation in this country, not just around the NBA, but in lots of other quarters. No question, I know where you're going. Right? It forced people to talk about something and discuss something that a trade war wasn't necessarily doing, or any other. There was a 60 Minutes piece the other night on Sunday. Came on after the football game. The CBS 60 Minutes reporter was embedded in with some protesters in Hong Kong and I watched the whole thing and I asked myself after would I have kept that on and watched that piece it's a, a month ago it's a great point it just shows you the power of sports in this country as you said the trade war you are seeing it on CNBC and MSNBC and any financial program but in the American public's conscience this particular instance has brought the entire thing into sharper focus. It's powerful, and if it forces an examination of conscience, 
you know, we've had all these American corporations talk about we need to look at ourselves in terms of our impact, in terms of climate change, and any other any other number of important issues, right? That group of CEOs went to the government and said, we are committed to be good business practitioners. So if it forces an examination of conscience for everybody involved in any circumstance, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. And just in the context of the NBA, I think this conversation may be painful, maybe financially costly down the road. I think in the end, it's healthy for the NBA. I just, I think it is because it's a good chance for all of us to look in the mirror and say how we feel about this, how we feel about this issue, to know more about what it means to do business, to have partnerships in China in, in positive ways and ways that are less positive. And so in that way, I do wonder what the cost will be to Daryl Morey personally if it's not He's, now in Houston, yeah. but down the road. Uh, this is a high le- This is an executive of the year. This is a, uh, an executive who has been fairly innovative in his job, uh, built a, a championship-level team, hasn't won one, but built a team that has contended. And He's uh, the one person on the human side of this, Woj, that um, he consistently pops into my head is, you know, what does it feel like for him? Um, you know, revisiting the tweet, I've wondered what he's thought. And, uh, uh, you know, certainly I'm sure the players would have liked the timing of that to be after they returned to the country. But I do think about him and, uh, you know, wonder if he's hanging in there. It's, it, this is, this is not easy. It's not, and I, I'll say this for the players, like, and I've often thought about this and even coaches, sometimes I get the sense that, they all worry about the microphone in front of their face. Shoot, I go on the air sometimes and listen back to myself and think, you know, geez, that was just a dumb statement or whatever. And to have that mic in your face constantly and to be asked all these questions and to have to answer it. And I'm telling you, it, it gave me perspective on any number of things. But answering the questions that are constantly put in their faces, it it has given me pause because a lot of times I'm the one asking the questions. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers is their hodgepodge of business systems. They have one system for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory, and so on. It's just a big, inefficient mess taking up too much time and too many resources, and that hurts the bottom line. So introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting orders and HR instantly, right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide. Seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash woge. That's netsuite.com slash woge to download your free guide. Seven key strategies to grow your profits. Once again, netsuite.com slash woge, W-O-J. 
there is no easy transition back into the NBA. <laughs> yes. But I wanted to ask you, Doris, the, the team, team in the West, team in the East, who you are most unsure about, that you are most curious about, for me, and that's, it is the Rockets. It was before any of this. Mm. What are they going to be? What about for you? Who, who is it? Well, the Rockets are interesting to me um, because Chris Paul was successful playing alongside of James because he proved to be more willing to consistently shoot threes than I ever expected him to be. He also seemed comfortable getting off the ball and then running with the ball when James was off the floor. And there were periods in that partnership where you know, those minutes were consistent and he knew when they were com- coming, particularly the first year. We've seen a regression from Russell Westbrook in terms of his three-point shooting. We've seen a regression in Russell Westbrook in terms of his free throw percentage. I think he is obviously diligent in his work. This isn't about Russell not putting in the work to be great. But if that three-point percentage doesn't come up, what does the pairing look like? I get it. They can play faster. Russell can still take it off the window and get in transition. So maybe there's opportunities. But is he as willing to get off the ball as much? We'll see. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm fascinated to see that play out. I have a little bit of recency bias in that I was just at Utah a couple weeks ago, right before my trip to Portland. And I happened to be lucky enough to see the first minutes of a little bit of live scrimmage where Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert got to play together literally for the first time. And I couldn't have been more impressed with how quickly the pick and roll tandem worked. Um, There was such heavy emphasis last year in Utah on the high pass at the rim to to get Rudy and obviously number two in dunks or what it sets a record the whole bit. Um, I was like, ooh, (laughs) you know, you forget Mike Conley is the master in that that situation. They put more shooting around Donovan, which obviously has been problematic. Um, They're a Rudy Gobert injury away from disaster Mm -hmm. in my mind. Uh, but I'm really intrigued by Utah. Really yeah. intrigued by them. Yeah, for lots of reasons. I think you know, getting Donovan Mitchell off the ball. And remember, last summer he had had uh, the lower leg injury and didn't couldn't do much last summer. I remember I saw him at a uh, one of the pre-draft workouts. He was there and he was in a he was in a walking boot and couldn't put um, the time in. He's a gym rat. Couldn't put the time in that he wanted. Got off to a slow start. It was indicative of that. But this summer with USA Basketball and how good that was for him, I bet you talked to him about that. And and I knew how – it's so funny. Before all the guys started dropping out of that USA team, I remember Donovan Mitchell wanted to be on that team so badly and was – you know, he and the Jazz and his agent, Ty Sullivan, were really making the case to USA Basketball. He was just hoping to be on the roster. And then his guys started dropping out. All of a sudden, not, he goes from "Can I even be on the team?" to "I am a um, uh, integral I'm a, part. I'm a key part of right. it. I'm a key part of it." And so, uh, I think for him, he comes back. Um, I, I think there'll be a, a springboard for him um, into the season. And then, you know, and you forget just the the, the guys they added on the bench: Emmanuel Mudiay and Jeff Green. Mudiay had a good season with the Knicks, and having Connolly and Quinn Snyder there. Like I knew B.J. Armstrong, his agent, that was part of his thinking of 
on a one-year deal there, that's a great situation for him. Bogdanovich. You know, Bogdanovich is a, the biggest piece. He's a great addition, a shot maker. Uh, obviously, people are going to point to, uh, is there a weakness there defensively? Is Utah the same defensive team? But Bogdanovich fights. And two years ago, he does an admirable job on LeBron James for a stretch of time. And, uh, I mean, he's just, the, he's to me, tremendous off the dribble. In the absence of Victor Oladipo a year ago, he's willing to take on the responsibility nightly, right? And that's, that's, there's weight to that. And, and Boyan was willing, uh, to do that. And I, I would just, I'm just really intrigued with Utah. Again, health is, is critical. And, and I'll tell you one guy who I thought looked sensational in the time I was there was Royce O'Neill. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he looked absolutely sensational. To the east, the team I'm most curious about is the Boston Celtics. Uh, okay. You know, you go from Kyrie Irving and, um, you know, the dynamics, the interpersonal dynamics, and there were many of them, not all tracing back to Kyrie. But as I've said many times, and we played this back on our game the other night where I said, the leader of your team inevitably, the weight of their personality, their countenance, the things that they do daily – that has an impact, and somebody with championship experience with Kyrie's personality, we don't have to rehash it all. You go almost 180 degrees from that. I remember Jim Calhoun talking to me about Kemba. He said, I see the kid, I just smile. He walks in my office, and everybody's, before he's done, everybody's smiling. Um, but the, the question, everything that gets lost to me is, Yes, Al Horford was critical on both ends. You know, I can't remember which player said it about them last year. It was an opponent who said, everybody talks about Kyrie. The hub of that team is, is Al. Aaron Baines. Yeah. Boston, there was a level of toughness and physical presence and communication. You know, Baines would stand coming back. His arms would be outstretched. He's got incredible size. And you just see his mouth moving. Calling out screens, calling out coverages. Uh, I'm intrigued by them. I really am. What is the answer on the interior? Because the two teams above them, Philadelphia with all that size and having to contend with Giannis, what does the front court of the Boston Celtics look like? How does that shake out? you got a number of people. I know Brad will downsize an awful lot, but Boston's front court is a real question. I can't wait to see Jalen and Jason. Jason Tatum is talking about all the right things, layups, threes, and free throws. Let's see. Let's yeah, see. Yeah, and, and, and Gordon Hayward, who you talk to people in that training camp from the time they got back, they said, this is the guy we signed. This is the guy we gave a max deal to in from Utah. Uh, just his confidence and a full year now. And you saw some – Flashes of it later in the season last year, but he could never put it together. But uh, that will be the real interesting. Um, does he become again the player that was an all star and in or wanted to be an all star in Boston, who was a, the franchise guy in Utah? The team for me in the East is Miami. I, I almost I, picked Miami. Like that is a fascinating group to me, and like can they be? And I think it's however you want it. It's it's Philly. Philly, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Philly at the top, and, and then it's you know it's it's Boston, you know if if, if you want to put Boston third, but then like 
my is Miami can they compete for third maybe maybe fourth like Toronto they need if, Mr. Hero to continue to shoot yeah, as well like, as he like has. The, the guys in Miami obviously you're bringing in Jimmy Butler and yes, what that'll mean right. for him but right. uh Bam Adebayo who has progressed they they really liked him around the guys who were around USA basketball and saw him and he's classic Eric Spolstra program gets better you know one and done guy Kentucky who comes in and you know, oh, they're getting certain. better, and then you know Justice Winslow, Goran Dragic, right? You, and, and you say you know Tyler Hero, and then you know they kind of sent James Johnson back to, you know, you got to get in shape. We're gonna like Johnson got in great shape in Miami, had a career year, got a new contract, and then they felt regressed. So they kind of put him back on ice a little bit. They'll bring him back, and and Myers Leonard, who was a you know had some moments. He had some moments in, in the, the playoffs season last year. He that, sure did. Can he build off of that? Kelly Olynyk's missed. You know he'll play. So that to me, and then Eric Spolstra, who typically is going to get the most out of his group, and and I think Jimmy Butler and Spolstra, in a lot of ways, Jimmy Butler is perfect for Miami for the identity that they've had. They want to have, but Jimmy has shown in recent years, like for all the good he adds, he adds some things around the edges that have not. Boat as well in a in, in the team environment, but this is what he wanted. This is he wanted to go somewhere and be the guy. He is that in Miami. Um, so there's non negotiables there, right? In in Miami under Spo, there's non negotiables. You're going to play hard. You're going to be excellent and sound defensively. They're going to be well prepared, and so they're in so many games. Whatever warts and wrinkles Jimmy Butler brings, he finishes. He's a closer. Yeah. So now. How many wins is that when their defense holds them? So I, I, it's so funny you pick them. Here's what I wonder about Jimmy Butler. It's the same thing I wonder about Kyrie. To a greater degree, Kyrie than Jimmy in this instance. But when I listened to Kyrie speak on that first day of media day, and he sort of explained what he believed was the problem with himself, you know, losing a family member and it taking its toll all year. Whether or not you give credence to that, that doesn't matter. What it did indicate to me is he knew there was a problem. It's now two times he has left franchises where there have been questions. And does he view this as, I need to sort of restore my reputation in the league? Um, champion, big shot maker, two things you can't take away from him. It's not always about that. And for Jimmy Butler now, same thing. So is do they in any way have a measure of self-realization, I need to look inward? And I think the challenge for Kyrie Irving off the court this year, part of being a franchise player is being it all the time. Not just taking the big shot, not just wanting the ball at the end of the game. and But especially without Kevin Durant there. And Kyrie is not like to do this. He does not like to get up and talk a lot. He's not, you don't see him talking, you know, maybe at the shoot around as much post game. Like you've got to stand there when you're the guy, you're, you're not leaving it to Joe Harris to have to speak for the team or even Karis Levert at this point or Jared Allen. And you know, DeAndre Jordan's been around lots of contenders and he can, but it's not built around DeAndre Jordan. Now when Kevin Durant is there, Say what you will about Kevin. Kevin will stand there. You know the stories. He will answer questions. Kevin will stand and talk, and he will answer questions. He will be introspective, but he won't be there to do that this year. 
And when it's not going well, like Kyrie's got to do that in Brooklyn. And I think you didn't see him do it last year in Boston. And it left all these young guys standing around looking at each other, not know like they're not there to speak for the team. Like you get the max deal, like you're the star. Like you got to come out and and take the burden off of them, and they're going to follow your lead. I I'll be curious how Kyrie handles that part of the job, especially with no KD this year. However, he comports himself. Does he immerse himself into the milieu of the team, or you know, is it different than that? Um, it's as you say. There's a responsibility that comes with it every day. One of the things I always appreciated about Paul Pierce, even through the lean years with the Boston Celtics, he answered questions every day, win, loss, otherwise. And you're right. That's part and parcel. It goes back to what I said earlier. The countenance, the demeanor, how you comport yourself every single day in the small ways as much as the big sends a very powerful message to everybody. And, uh, you know, it was so funny. There were so many people who were, you know, sort of marveled at Kyrie calling LeBron last year to say, I know what you were going through, you know. Is that the leadership style he's going to bring to to Brooklyn? Mm. I don't know. And and I think you, when you try to be yourself, there's a genuine nature to that. If you try to step outside yourself, players pick up on that pretty quickly. The other team in New York, the Knicks, who this time last year, we were talking about, you know, are they going to get Kyrie and KD mm. together? And mm. they're, you know, but see, by the time we were in March, April, let's see, they were going to get KD, right. Kyrie, and they were going to win the lottery and get Zion, <laughs> That's right? right? I remember, right? They, yes, and, yes. and then, um, yes, yes, and, and they have, uh, none of them. And so, <laughs> uh, but you, your perspective on the Knicks, you've been covering games in the garden, uh, longer than you've been, Doing national games at ESPN, you were on the local. You did local radio. You did television. You did WNBA. You've covered. You've covered lots of college basketball at the Garden. You've been coming to cover basketball in New York City for a long time. Back to Biggie's tournaments. Are you kind of numb to what it's really been like for a very long time? It's so different. Any of us who covered the were around for the Riley Knicks, the Jeff Van Gundy Knicks, the, yes, and then what it's become, and with no real. We look down the road and you go, I don't know that's getting much better soon. Like, do you think about that? Would you still walk into the garden anymore? Because it is so different than what it used to feel like walking in that building. Two of our colleagues recently said things about the Knicks and it resonated with me, both of them. The first was when Zach Lowe on a podcast, I believe it was, went absolutely nuts about the Knicks. And I thought, geez. You know, that sums up every Knicks fan's frustrations. And I was smiling as I listened to Zach say it. Um, listen, I sat courtside for some of Jeff's, you know, the Pacers and the Knicks battles and just how electric Madison Square Garden is. I am still, and it's probably because I'm a New York, New Jersey kid, I am still of the belief that the NBA is better when the New York Knicks are good. And there has been a long stretch of time where I've said I don't have any hope as a Knicks fan. And listen, you know, you talk about a leadership team that had to pivot and pivot quickly. These are the facts. And 
am I more optimistic now? I'm not, I'm not really. You know, you've got three three point guards all chosen in the lottery, all of whom are flawed. And um, you know, Julius Randle could have a tremendous year. There's no question about that because of the composition of the East. Could his numbers become a thing? Sure, they could. Uh, here's the disturbing, I mean, the most disturbing thing you see is they win an exhibition against Washington. They lose the second one, and they're talking about losing focus. And I'm thinking, you're out of your mind. You're losing focus because I, I just, I was, I was just blown away by that. Woj. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, the whole market, and I have a lot of respect for Marcus Morris. I think he's a, he, he's, you talk about guys who made the most out of their talent, found their role in the league made themselves a valuable winning player and he's done that rock solid for two straight seasons in Boston but but like that incident with, with the Wizards where yes you know where he's taking the ball and he's smacking uh was it Justin, Justin Anderson, Anderson Justin Anderson yeah. in the head with it and then after the game it was well that's who we're going to we're going to be tough and I'm like wait a minute that is tough indicative minded, of toughness tough minded team that if you're going to be a tough team and 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 we can see the pathway for that team to be competitive right they yes. brought some tough money it's going to be like toughness is like defending rebounding closing out playing hard leading toughness is not smacking somebody in the head side of the head with the ball it's playing with discipline it. and keeping yeah. your emotions in check and i'm like that's not like and and he knows that like i mean marcus morris knows that no he's question been about it and it's like i hope that's not the Hope they don't imagine that's their identity. I didn't think no, that was their, their defensive effort was just abysmal in the second second game with Washington. It was abysmal, and uh, you know, supposedly uh, David, you know, watches seventy five defensive clips and and you call him out. But but to have the statements we lost focus and to have that kind of defensive effort, the second second exhibition, whew, that was concerning. Yeah, David Fisdale is interesting. You know. Last off season, well, two off seasons ago, he was in great demand as a head coach. He probably could have had one, two, three, like could have had Phoenix. He could have had Charlotte, and he could have had Atlanta before he waited on got the Knicks job. And you look back, you go, it's e-, which is easy to do. Um, Atlanta would have been interesting with yes, the roster no and who, who they're playing, and that's the game on air you're doing uh, Wednesday night. Um, but listen, David Fisdale came to New York because he had belief that they could get out in free agency and make an impact and get big players. And at the time, they saw Kristaps Porzingis, who to me more more Doris than anybody they didn't get. You could survive not getting KD and Kyrie Irving and, and any of the others. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing for them to rebound from will be trading Kristaps yeah. Porzingis, not repairing the relationship with him. That was tattered when Scott Perry came in and Fizz came in. They inherited a lot of acrimony from Phil Jackson and from the previous, but they had time. He couldn't he could have been if he didn't sign the rookie extension this year, they still could have matched an offer sheet. They had time to repair that. And the fact that and I said it at the time and I Felt strongly about it, and I think a lot a lot of people did. Trading him just moments after he told them he wanted to be traded, literally within two hours, they went and did a deal with Dallas. That is, like, the draft picks are great. I can almost assure you they will not find another Chris Porzingis 
um, with those picks. They had both sides. They, they could have worked that out. He loved playing in New York. He loved the city. And now he got the better of him in a lot of ways, and there's things he's got to answer to. But, wow, like that one to me is harder to recover from. Because if you just had Porzingis now, you still had a guy to – you had a foundational piece that kept you competitive. And they don't have that anymore. Correct. And you can go years and not get another one. That's correct. And this was, so I had said two colleagues. The other thing was, was Jeff Van Gundy talking about, and nobody knows it better than Jeff because he was living some of the best and most electric moments with Knicks fans. You know, it was in, it was in response, his, his, his response was in response to Kevin Durant saying, you know, it's no longer cool to be a New York Nick. I couldn't agree more. I, I have, so enjoyed watching Chris Stapps play early and as you said yes there's things to answer for but he did seem built to handle the market and that in and of itself is an enormous achievement there is weight here as there's weight in other spaces that is harder to endure um, but I hope Jeff's right you know I hope it, it only takes one to want to play here because think about how you'd be embraced if you could win in New York City. You know it. You've been in this market forever, Woj. Yeah. It, but to get that one, you have to have so much in place. I mean, you have to have so much in place organizationally on the ownership level, which is more important than ever, how players, agents look at organizations. They look, look at, at the top, the GMs, look the coaches at come and go. Look at Brooklyn and they, they how did, they how they did it masterfully. Yeah. This is what's intriguing me. I was listening to Tommy Shepard speak, and in a podcast, I believe it was Chris Mannix, and in and Tommy was preaching. This is about the players, and they're our priority. And it seems that Tommy, it just sounded in terms of trying to find diamonds in the rough and and get acquisitions that maybe, you know, their past decisions have prevented them from having but think about what brooklyn did in such a short time with sean marks and kenny atkinson if you're knicks fans you're hoping at some point you can pull it all together yeah it is uh you know yeah it's it's that time of the year where like (laughs) there's probably more hope in more places than at any time in since pre- I don't know how far do we go back. Like the Cavaliers teams, there wasn't a lot of hope in the East and LeBron, LeBron's eight, yes, eight year run, right, some hope. Right. And then the, the Warrior Golden team. State Warriors. The, yeah. You know, that pre, and so. Do you have a favorite this year, Woj? I think healthy. When you go from coaching from player one to the end of the bench and then defensively, it's the Clippers, but Paul George is going to miss, you know, probably maybe the first month of the season, whatever it's going to be exactly. And, you know, I don't know how much home court in the West. I'll, I'll be interested to see if – can a Utah, can a Denver – you know, Denver's the team that, like – Denver might have They're been. really built for the regular – now, we'll see how they're built for the postseason. But they're built for the regular season to – you know, Jeremy Grant's going to help them from Oklahoma City. Those guys love they, – they, they've mm-hmm. been talking about him. I had their first exhibition. Yeah. He looked tremendous, and he yeah. looked exactly like what they needed. And Michael Porter Jr. – Yeah, that's the one. That's long-term. I mean, that's the wild card for them. Right. Yeah. It, they have to figure out yeah. who's going to be the starter at the three spot. And uh, 
you know, how does Will Barton react if it isn't him? Obviously, there was some tension there, dynamic tension when he got pulled out of the starting lineup in the playoffs. Yeah. But it's an amazing thing to me that we are overlooking them, or at least no one's conversing about yeah. them. And in the West, in the West, that would have been my second and, most but, intriguing. But what happens in the playoffs, and this is why the Lakers are going to be formidable, we'll see how it goes with... Frank Vogel Frank Vogel's a, a, a very good NBA coach, and he has coached a lot of playoff basketball in Indiana and been in tough series and won tough series. And but it's LA is a different animal. It is a different animal. The Lakers are a different animal, and we'll see how Dwight Howard does in that environment. Can he? He's talked a good game all summer. I've heard Dwight say these things for years, and then he eventually wears everybody out around him for his sake. He's going to have to live it if he wants to stay in this league and not just talk it. And and there's an environment there with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and others who will make that clear to him on a lot of days if he's not. But they're want LeBron and Anthony Davis, you know, when you get into a playoff series and it's Portland who has the, you know, continuity and they've got depth and they their their best two, you know, their guards together are t- tremendous. But you know what happens in these playoff series like my two against your two, yes. like at the end of the game, right. that's what uh, carries it. Can depth, can uh, continuity in these places, you know, elite coaching. You know, you have a Terry Stotts, a Quinn Snyder, um, you know, a couple of the very best coaches in the league. And all those things matter. But you have a championship coach with the Clippers. You have a team defensively that is going to be tremendous. We'll see how they play make there. The point guard positions you know, Patrick Beverly is not a traditional playmaker, but they have facility. You know, they have you yeah, can run offense through Kawhi. You can run it through Paul George. Correct. And, and, I, and for me, yeah. it's the same issue as when Doc. The last time Doc had a championship caliber team, he pounded into them that they had to win it on the defensive end of the floor. Think about the point of attack pressure that Patrick applies. Paul George was number one or two in steals. Mm-hmm. He is like the defensive back on the wing that you want to play to the opposite side. Well, the opposite side is Kawhi Leonard. Yep. Think about what Kawhi did individually on the defensive end against Giannis in the playoffs, right? Milwaukee's got a 2-0 lead, feels like they're in great shape, and then Kawhi says it's time. And his individual defensive prowess, I mean... Listen, I agree about LeBron, and this is the mo- he may be the most fascinating player to me this year because 27 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. When you get as advanced in your career as you are as LeBron, you know how to put points on the board. You know, it's a couple of sneak-out layups. It's three post-ups where you get six free throws. Boom. Before you know it, LeBron's got an offensive rebound. He's at 10, and he's yeah. not even broken a sweat, but... And all that playoff experience, I agree. I mean, listen, I'm just, I cannot wait for this season. I don't know. Everybody's optimistic. Nobody's won or lost a game. But there are things that will play out. The drama in L.A. Like, do you have a place picked out in L.A.? <laughs> yeah, the, the J.W. Marriott and L.A. Live. <laughs> no no question. Uh, Doris, this is uh, always fun. You got a couple days here. In the city, which I know you love, and yes. I know I'll see you plenty around this season. I can't wait, Woj. We didn't talk about the coaches challenge, which will be fascinating yep. how teams employ it and, and what these officials, but there's I, so I, much. One, one thing one coach said to me yeah. was initially almost lamenting it, saying, great, this is another thing that the media, the fans, 
our general managers have to criticize us for. Like there wasn't the enthusiasm I sensed and talking to guys initially, and then as it was explained to them, but it was almost like this is just another thing that we're going to get criticized for. It's, how we use it. It's so true, and it's amazing. Like you know, what is what is your staff saying to you relative to its importance? Like one of the things I think is going to be really critical, particularly in the playoffs. Think about the emotions. You know how charged and electric it is. The level is heightened. Everybody, there's tension and pressure. Now there's a player who feels like he didn't get a call. And he's looking at you, the coach, and going, back me up here. But you know it's not worth it at that particular moment. Like, you got to manage your players. And are you having discussions with your guys saying, hey, I got it. We know when to do it and when not. Uh, to me, it's a fascinating piece anyway. I got it on tangent there, but yeah. I can't wait for the season. Yeah, yeah. All right, DB. Uh, good to be with you, Woj. Good to be with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, the Hall of Famer, Doris Burke. Don't forget to check out the Low Post with Zach Lowe, as well as Brian Windhurst and the Hoop Collective. And of course, as always, you can listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next time.